Uh, find your place in your Bible with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We began a series three weeks ago entitled Dear Paul. Sort of like an advice column. The book of 1 Corinthians is sort of like an advice column. Uh, they have uh, written to Paul and they've asked him questions about what to do about certain circumstances that are in their church. And Paul is writing back to answer those questions and to address some other things that he's heard as well. And this letter is so filled with incredible truth that we need to learn. We're going to be spending several weeks in this letter. Actually, this is our fourth message. We're not even out of the first 19 verses yet. So we might be here a long time, but that'll be okay. And we're going to spend our time learning what God has for us to learn today. I want to begin reading in verse 18. Follow along with me through verse 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who were perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in the previous message, that's where we focused most of our attention. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. That's hyperbole. That's exaggeration. There is no foolishness in God. But if there were, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, there is no weakness in God. It's hyperbole. It's exaggeration. But if there were weakness in God, it's still stronger than men. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come today to another thing that people find foolish. They found it foolish in the first century. They find it foolish in the 21st century. They found the message that was proclaimed, the message of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus to be a foolish message. But to those of us who are being saved, we know it to be the power of God. But today, Lord, we learn about something else that they thought was foolish that even more so, I think, in the 21st century, people think is foolish. Help us, Lord, to realize the wisdom, the wisdom of God in what mankind calls foolishness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I was preparing for the message today, I was thinking back across my Christian life. I was saved at the age of 16, December the 26th, 1973. And I was sitting in a youth service, and our youth pastor was preaching the Word of God. And at the end of the service, he gave an invitation, gave us an opportunity to respond by receiving Christ as our Savior. And that night, I trusted in the Lord Jesus to save me. I'm far from perfect. I have a lot of faults and flaws. Anybody close enough and around me knows that to be true. Uh, but I'm forgiven. 
and I'm a child of the living God by the salvation of the Almighty God. But as I thought about that, I thought about how many other really big decisions of my life have been made as a result of hearing the preaching of the Word of God. I can remember the preaching of the Word that challenged me to offer my life to God in service. It wasn't that every one of us that were offering our lives was going to end up in ministry, but it was that every one of us were challenged to give our lives to God and say, God, here's my life. Use it however you want. And I wonder today where I might have been if I had missed that service where we were challenged to give our lives in service to God, make them available for God to use. I think about the challenges that I heard through the preaching of the scripture over the years that have helped my life to become more conformed to the image of Christ. I'm far from being in the image of Jesus like I wish to be, but I'm not near where I was when I first started. And it was the result of the preaching that I heard over and over again uh, that were challenging me. Uh, I can remember sitting in church services and listening to preachers and uh, being just Uh, absolutely enamored by what they had to say because they took me into the Word of God and they explained it to me in a way that I understood what I did not understand before and that I could take it away then and I could apply it to my life and I could see how my life would make a difference as a result. Um, What I'm trying to say to you is that a lot of the things, the big decisions in my life and a lot of the little decisions in my life have been made as a result of hearing the preaching of the Word of God. I got leadership and I got guidance and I got challenge and I got uh, conviction and I got uh, direction and all these other matters I received as I listened to and I heard the preaching of the Word of God. I can remember when I was younger, we went to Sunday school in the morning, and then we went to a church service that followed. That church service was never over until about 12.30. Some of you would freak out (laughs) if we went that long in a church service. We came back in Sunday evening for the teaching of the Word through a training union class. That's adults and teens and children, a training union class, and then the evening church service, the preaching service, the music and the message started at 7.30. We were never out of church until at least quarter till nine or nine o'clock every Sunday evening. We came back uh, to church at least once a year for a revival that was always a seven-day revival every night. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and every night of the week. We came back at least one week of the year for the preaching of a Bible conference where we had a guest speaker who came in who would teach something from the Scripture, and he would tie it all together, and often that was a four-night event or it was a seven-night event. And then we would have the preaching of the missions conference. Once a year, we'd have a missions conference, and we'd have guest preachers, these missionary preachers, to come in, and they would preach to us all of these different nights that we were gathered. It was always a seven-night event. And then anything else that was going on, we showed up for the preaching of the Word of God. And through that preaching, the accumulation of that preaching, God changed my life. God changes people's lives as a result of the preaching of his word. I'll go home this afternoon and I'll 
turn on the television uh, on the Fox network, uh, the Fox uh, business network, uh, I'll watch uh, Dr. Michael Youssef, and then I'll watch uh, Dr., uh, uh, his name just left me, David uh, Jeremiah, Dr. Jeremiah, then I'll watch Dr. Charles Stanley, and then I'll watch Greg Lowry from out in uh, California, out on the West Coast. Uh, this week, as I go through the week, I'll listen to a preacher at least a couple of times this week. He's on every day, but I listen to him at least a couple of times who comes from Cleveland, uh, Alistair Begg. Uh, I'll listen uh, to Charles Swindoll, another one of my favorite preachers to listen to. i listen to probably a half a dozen or so preachers through the course of the week. You say, why? Why? It isn't Sunday, an hour on Sunday. Isn't that enough for you? It's not enough for me. It's not enough for most people that want to love God and want to follow God and who want to do the will of God and who are desiring to be used of God. Preaching is one of the primary ways that God has chosen to communicate his word to us and to change change our lives. And sometimes it's one particular sermon that you hear and suddenly everything comes alive and your life is totally and dramatically changed. Sometimes it's an accumulation of sermons that you hear over a course of years, a course of months or a course of weeks that God is ever at work in your life as he's challenging you and you're listening to the preaching of the word and and God begins to transform your life. But I want you to understand that In 21st century society, preaching has fallen on hard times. Preaching has fallen on hard times. And often what goes as preaching really can't be defined as preaching at all. And people seem to be satisfied with a church service or a gathering of people or a social gathering that's absent of the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul had been talking to the Corinthians about, you know, don't divide yourself over your favorite personality, your favorite preacher personality, or your favorite style of ministry. Don't divide yourself over that. What's central is the message of the cross People have to hear the message of the cross. It's that message of the gospel that changes people's lives. And it's that message that unifies us. But the reality is the world around us did not know God in their own wisdom. And God in his wisdom chose that they would only know him through the preaching of the cross. And though the world calls it foolishness, God says to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But I want you to understand that not only is the message to the world in which we live foolishness, but the mode in which we deliver that message is considered to be foolishness in the world. If you go back to chapter 1 for just a moment, and if you look at verse 21, which is where we're going to spend our time, he says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. Now, your translation may just have foolishness of the message, but the two words in my translation, message preached, are the translation of a single Greek word that we're going to put here on the screen for you to be able to see. 
It's the word kerygma. You can see it both in the Greek language, you can see it transliterated. Kerygma. Caruso is another variation of that word. I want to take a few moments and I want to tell you something about that word. That word refers to both the message itself and it refers to the mode of delivering that message. Just to give you an indication of that it includes not just the message but the mode of delivery, think with me about Matthew chapter 12 verse 41. Jesus speaking says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. What was Jonah doing? Jonah went from one side of the city to the other side of the city with a message to be delivered. But how did he deliver that message? He delivered that message by preaching. Charisma is the word. By preaching. It wasn't just the message that was considered foolishness. It was the mode of delivering that message that was considered foolishness. Uh, think about Titus chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is talking about the ministry that God had given to him and how God had given him the ministry of preaching. And listen to what he says. But has in due time manifested his word. That's the message. He's manifested his word through what means, what mode? Preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. In other words, as it was in the first century, it is in the 21st century, that not only do people look at the message we proclaim to be a message of foolishness, that you would believe in a Jew who died on a cross on Calvary, was sufficient to pay the penalty of all mankind's sins, that he was buried and rose again, and you have to believe in him. You have to trust in him for eternal life. The world considers that a foolish message, but you and I know it what? It is the power of God to salvation, right? But it's not just the message they think is foolish. It's the, it's the mode of delivering that message that they think is foolish as well. As a matter of fact, some of you feel the same way. Some of you watching feel the same way. Why would I go to church any longer than I have to, to listen to somebody stand before me and lecture me from the Bible. Well, you think about that word again with me, kerygma. Think about that word for a moment. One author says about it, the Greek could refer to the content of the preaching and or to its form of delivery. Both are probably intended. That is in verse 21, both are probably intended. A little later he says, form and content belong together. In this case, both are unimpressive nonsense to the world, except, that is, to those who believe. So what is Paul saying when he comes and he says, through the foolishness of the message preached, yes, the message I'm pre preaching to the world that's listening, many of them feel that it's a foolish message, but it's not only a foolish message to them, the mode of delivering that message is foolishness as well. That's how they view it. They view it as being something that's foolish. M many preachers, probably most of the men on our staff, have in their libraries a 10-volume theological, uh, uh, theological uh, dictionary of the New Testament. 
the theological dictionary of the New Testament. It's 10 volumes. It, it takes all these different Greek words. It breaks them down. It shows you how they're used in various other kinds of settings. And it gives you a full, a full understanding of these words. But in the theological dictionary of the New Testament, which I have in my office behind me, it says this about this word. While the stress in the New Testament is on the act of proclamation, the content is by no means secondary. Do you hear what he's saying? While the stress in the New Testament is on the act of proclamation, the content is by no means secondary. Again, what is he telling us? That it's both the content and the form that the world considers to, to be foolishness. The content and the mode of delivery that the world considers to be foolishness. And yet, that's exactly what God's called his church to do. To proclaim a message that many consider foolishness and to do it in a way that many people also consider to be foolishness. I want you to keep your place here. I want you to turn with me back for a moment to Acts chapter 2. I just want to let the scripture define for you what it means to preach. You know, there are dozens of definitions of what it means to preach. If you've been in seminary, you have studied many of those definitions. You had to memorize some of those definitions and put them on a test. If I had to do that today, I'd be lost. <laughs> I can't remember all those definitions. But just let the scripture itself define for you what preaching is. You find it in Acts chapter 2. You remember what was going on in Acts one and two, Jesus had told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the promise came. And they were in an upper room and they were praying together. They were waiting on the promise. What was the promise? It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to come, is going to indwell them, is going to make them a part of the body of Christ. And the church was going to be birthed into existence. There was a rushing wind. There were tongues that set, uh, that set on their shoulders. And they went out and they began speaking the, to the people. And everybody heard the message in their own language. It wasn't because all of those 120 knew or the disciples themselves knew the different languages. It was because God was supernaturally intervening and making it possible for them to speak something they didn't know. It was a supernatural act, but they were going out. Well, you can imagine people are, are listening. Not only is he speaking it in my language, he's speaking it in the dialect of my language. And everybody's fascinated. Well, in the midst of all of the buzz, who stands up? His name is Peter. And Peter becomes the first preacher, if you will, to a congregation of people who are listening to him deliver a message. And he delivers over the next a uh, few minutes of this uh, particular passage, he delivers the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. But notice, notice how he does it, verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing up with the 11. Here's the first aspect of preaching. The preaching is standing up with the 11. It is based on the apostolic truth that's been handed down to us through the inspired word of God. Such that any preacher who stands behind the pulpit or behind the table or who stands behind his Bible and he proclaims the truth, he's standing on the shoulders of the apostles. He's standing on the shoulders of the truth of the apostles. He goes on. Standing up with the eleven, raised his voice. This is not a casual conversation. This is not a dialogue between two people. This is somebody who's standing up with the eleven, raising his voice so that he can be heard and said to them. This is the same Greek word that's used back in verse, uh, in verse number four 
where he talks about the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, you stand up, you lift up your voice, moved by the Spirit of God. He goes on, men of of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known. What is preaching? Preaching is making people to know something. It's opening their understanding. It's making sure that that they can comprehend the truth of what's being said. Let this be known to you and heed my words. Literally, the phrase means listen attentively. Pay attention. Don't don't drift off. Now, if you just worked all night long and you just got here this morning, you came from work to get here and you drift off to sleep, I don't mind if you close your eyes and you take a nap. Just don't snore. (laughs) What does he say? Heed my words. That's what every preacher is supposed to do. Listen, preaching is not a counseling session. Preaching is not a pep rally. Preaching is not a therapy session. Preaching is standing up on the authority of the apostolic message, raising up your voice so that you can be heard and saying to people authoritatively under the inspiration, under the, I should say, the empowerment of the Spirit of God, letting people understand and know something that's found in the Word of God and telling them, listen, listen attentively. He goes on, look at verse 29. He says, men and brethren, let me speak freely. What is it to preach? It's to speak freely, meaning to speak frankly or to speak fearlessly. He's not supposed to back off on the message because the message might be controversial or it might be something that causes somebody else to get get, uh, bothered by what he has to say. He's to to say it freely and frankly and fearlessly. If you look over at verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly. The Greek word translated know assuredly literally means to lock up. He's supposed to be speaking in such a way that he convinces people that what he's telling you is the truth. And he locks you into that. He brings you to a place of conviction. He brings, brings you to a place of being convinced of the message that's been delivered. Or, if you will, you go down to verse 40, and he says, In many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And he calls them to a decision. What is preaching? Preaching is standing up on the apostolic authority of the Word of God, lifting up your voice, speaking to people with the power of the Spirit of God, teaching them something, showing them something in the Word of God, helping them to understand it, doing so freely and frankly and fearlessly, calling them to a decision, locking them into a place where there is no escape. This is the message. You have to understand it. And calling them to a decision. This is time for us to act. This is a time for us to change. But I've got news for you. In the world in which we live, not only has the message that we proclaim become foolishness, the mode of delivering that message is foolishness. Pastor, can't we replace it with videos? Pastor, can't we replace it with concerts? Pastor, can't we replace it with you sitting down and just having a a gentle therapy session with us? The answer to that question or those questions is no. Because that's not what the Word of God tells us to do. Theologian Michael Horton writes, the choice of preaching as a medium is not incidental. This puts us 
on the receiving end of things. You hear what he says? It's not incidental. Preaching is not incidental. You're not just checking off a box today, and I got it done. I can go do what I want to do for the rest of the week. This is not incidental. This is putting you on the receiving end where somebody is standing up on the apostolic authority under the inspiration or the enablement of the Spirit of God, not the inspiration, but the enablement of the Spirit of God and preaching so as to convince you and to convict you, to bring you to a place of decision in your life. That's what preaching is. And putting people in a position where they have to receive is a real problem in our present day. It's a real problem because this is a, are, are, you, are you still with me? This is a postmodern world. Do you know what that means? Postmodern world says something like this. Well, you've got your truth, and I've got my truth, and you've got your truth. And all of our truths are equal. They're all different, but they're all equal. All truth is equal. Yours is different than mine, and mine is different than yours. That's the postmodern world we live in. And then a preacher comes, and he opens up an ancient book, standing on the apostolic authority, lifting up his voice, proclaiming the truth of what it says, bringing people to a place of conviction and being convinced of the message so that they're locked in. If you're going to have to disobey God, you're going to have to walk away from God, or you're going to have to say, yes, that's what the Word of God says, and then calling them to a decision. But in a postmodern world where truth is relative, I'm telling you, preaching has fallen on hard times. You can find preachers that will give you little devotionals. They'll give you a homily. But they don't start with the Word of God. They don't explain the Word of God. They don't apply the Word of God. They don't expect people to obey the Word of God. They just want to make sure that you get to hear what you want to hear that will keep you coming back week after week after week when what we ought to be coming back to hear is the preaching of the Word of God. There's an old saying that, um, by, by the way, preaching is by its very nature proclamation and declarative. It's, it's not a discussion. It's not a debate. It's not us sitting down. We can do that on occasion. That's a good thing to do. We do that in life groups. That's a good place to do that. But that's not what preaching is. Preaching is someone coming, as I've read to you, out of Acts chapter 2, lifting up his voice, standing on the authority of the apostolic truth and proclaiming the word of God and calling people to a decision. There's an old saying that they used to tell us when we were training for the ministry, probably was late way before us, I don't hear it much anymore, but they used to say, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there'll be a fog in the pews. If there's a mist in the pulpit, there'll be a fog in the pews. Do you understand what they're saying? They're saying if the preacher comes and he's not really sure what he thinks and what he believes about something and whether you know, he should stand for this or not, then the end result of that is that you leave people confused about where they should stand about something. You should be expecting wherever you go to church, if this is not your church home, wherever you're watching us and you go to church, you should be expecting for the pastor to stand up, the preacher to stand up, to open up his Bible and to stand up before you and lift up his voice under the power of the Spirit of God and convince you that what he is saying comes out of this book and then call you to make a decision about the message that he's declaring. God didn't 
call me to this church 40 years ago to be a mist in the pulpit and leave a fog in the pews. But as it was in the first century, it is in the 21st century, and especially so in a postmodern culture where nobody wants to be told anything. You can't tell me what to do. That's the attitude. Don't you dare think that you can tell me how to live. Well, I'm not trying to tell you how to live. I, I hope what I'm doing is telling you what the Bible says is the way you ought to live. I've told you before, I, I read a lot, and I do read a lot. All of our pastors read a lot. But I read a lot, and I read an internet blogger. This is what he said about his church. Just one sentence out of this blog about his church. I want you to listen to it. Please listen to it carefully. Are you with me still? This is what he said. I'm quoting him word for word. We have hardly had any preaching at Grace Church for the last three years. Then there's a dash. In the next three words, I'll tell you everything you need to know. He writes, haven't missed it. We have hardly had any preaching at Grace Church for the last three years. Haven't missed it. Let me ask you a question. Do you miss the preaching of the Word of God? Do you miss when you don't hear the preaching of the Word of God? I don't, do you feel like I feel the reason why I listen to so many preachers? I mean, I, you know, preaching is like being a sponge. You, you study all week, and you're, you're soaking up this truth, and then you come to the pulpit, and you squeeze out all that you've learned, and now you're empty again. So I have to go home, and I have to feed myself. I have to listen to other people preach to me to help me stay on track, to keep feeding my soul. But when I don't show up for preaching and I don't read my Bible I feel like some of those children who are starving in third world countries and their stomachs are distended and their eyes are bulging out I don't feel healthy when I'm not hearing the preaching of his word and I'm not spending time in his word I mean, how can you not miss over a course of three years the preaching and yet there would be some even sitting listening to my voice today who'd say, I'll vote for that. I'll vote for that. Do you realize what the Bible does? Do you realize how important it is in your life? Think about Jesus and John the Baptist. What were they? They were preachers, weren't they? What does it say about Jesus? Jesus, one of the, uh, the two greatest sermons you'll ever read, the beginning of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, or the Olivet Discourse that comes down at Matthew 23 and 24. These two incredible sermons. Jesus was a preacher. How about John the Baptist? John the Baptist came preaching what? He came preaching repentance. How about when Jesus sent the disciples out? What did Jesus send the 12 apostles out to do? It says in Mark 7, 10, 7, he sent them out to preach. He sent them out to preach. And when you look at the book of Acts, do you know what the book of Acts is filled with? There are four, at least four, major sermons and preaching that's referred to beyond those four major sermons. I mean, it's a book about preaching and about the preaching in the New Testament church. Or when you think about Acts chapter 6, do you know why there are deacons? Well, they're here to direct everything and tell the pastors what to do. 
Well, thank God for good, godly men who are men that are great advisors. I've had those around me for the entirety of my ministry here. Great advisors, great men of insight, and great wisdom, and great spiritual men. But why did God appoint deacons to begin with? Because there were widows that were being neglected, and it was taking the apostles away from the preaching of the word of God. Or think about Paul himself. Come back here to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He goes on a little bit later. Notice down in verse 3 of chapter 2. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, in my speech and my, here it is, what was it? This is his mode. This is his method of delivering the message. And my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Or think about the charge that Paul gave to Timothy and to Titus. He said, preach the word. Hey, friends, you can't get away from You say, well, it's not the most effective mode of the transmission of the message of God. It may not be by the standard of the world, but it is by the standard of God. The most effective means of the transfer of the message of God to the people of God. I mean, Moses was a preacher, wasn't he? And Noah was a preacher, wasn't he? And the prophets from Elijah to Malachi were all preachers, weren't they? The Bible is filled with preaching. I just don't want any more preaching. Pastor, once on Sunday is all I got to have. I don't need any more preaching. I don't want to listen to it during the week. I don't want to come back and hear you on Sunday evening or whoever's speaking. I don't want any more preaching. Hey, listen, you're stunting your own, your own spiritual life. Stuart Briscoe was the longtime pastor of Elmbrook Church in Wisconsin. It's not far from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's a mega church. He passed away earlier this year. We're not on the same page everywhere with, with, uh, with Stuart Briscoe. But he was talking about the importance of preaching in his church. And listen to what he says. In our democratic society where everybody feels that they have the freedom to their own opinion, it sticks in people's craw or craws to have one person stand up and tell them what they should think. Well, who does he think he is? Don't you tell me what I should be doing. Everybody should be free to believe what they want to believe. He continues, the response, of course, uh, the response, of course, that we give to that is that we fully understand. However, we have to accept the fact, we have to accept the fact that in all free societies, there has to be an element of authority. There is no such thing as freedom without some degree of authority. And the unique authority of preaching is not to be found in an egotistical person. The authority of preaching stands in the authoritative word of God. And the task of the preacher is to unfold God's authoritative word. So when a preacher comes and he, lays, he reads a verse and he lays his Bible aside and he walks away from it, he doesn't preach to you from the text of Scripture or tell you what it means or explain it to you or apply it to your life, that may be counseling, that may be therapy, that may be a number of things, but that's not the preaching of the Word of God, which God commands his church to have. I like what one author said. Here's a young man. Here's a young man. All you young men in the room, all you young women in the room, you say, you're just an old preacher. You're just an old guy. You, just, you don't remember. You don't know how hard life is. And I hear that a lot. You just don't know how hard life is. Life is so hard. Like life wasn't hard before we had cell phones and before we had dryers and before we had 
You know, we had to hang our clothes out on the, before we had, uh, you know, whole house air conditioning, before we had, before we had, before we had. You think it's harder today than it was, than it was when we were coming along? It's harder in a different way, but it's just not harder. It's hard no matter when it is. Listen to me, you young men and young women. This is a young man. He says, believe it or not, I don't naturally want to sit down and listen to someone talk to me. I would rather be motivated through film, energized over a raucous drum solo, or stirred through a moving piece of art. He goes on, but the consistent pattern in Scripture is that God's people gather around the hearing of God's Word. We are to remain silent while He speaks. Not He That he, while he speaks through his word. Too often, the preaching of the word of God is replaced with drama and music and ceremony and conversational speeches and self-help counseling and pep rally style excitement and any number of other things. And the scripture, the Bible, the preaching of the truth of the word of God is strangely absent except for an occasional mention or a springboard to something that they really want to talk about. A few years ago, before COVID, pre-COVID, I was witnessing pretty, you know, pretty hard to a man about his, needing to come to faith in Jesus. He's a medical doctor. And I was witnessing to him about needing to come to faith in Jesus. And I was talking to him about his eternal soul. If you don't know Jesus, you can't go to heaven. If you don't know Jesus, you're separated from God forever in eternal hell. You've got to come to know Jesus. But you know how intellectuals are sometimes. They, they push those kinds of things away. That's foolishness. To believe in a message like that. But I was inviting him. I kept inviting him to come to church. Come to church. Come hear me preach. Come to church. Well, lo and behold, he shows up on a Sunday that I'm not there. He didn't know I, was gonna, he didn't know I wasn't going to be there. I didn't know he was going to be there. I couldn't have canceled my vacation anyway. I, he shows up on a Sunday that I'm not here. And after I came back from my vacation, I saw him again and I started talking to him. And I said, I hear you came to church. Oh, yeah, I came to church on this is so Sunday. I said, how'd you like it? He said, well, everybody was friendly enough, but I don't like your pulpit preaching. I don't like your, not me personally, just any of us, I don't like your pulpit preaching. He wanted there to be ceremony. He wanted there to be rituals. He wanted some kind of liturgy that we were going to follow. They were going to get, stand up. And we're all going to repeat the same thing at the same time so that everybody can be saying and preaching. And we don't have to have one person standing there. And can I tell you the real problem? You know what was really going on in his life? <laughs> the preaching got him under conviction even more than he was already under conviction. He was already under conviction. I got it. I understand. I I get it. The younger generation, my generation. Let's just not put this on the younger generation. A lot of you don't show up on Sunday night either. It's not just mine. It's not just the younger generation. It's our generation. We think that foolish, that preaching is foolishness. I don't need it, but once a week, that's all I need. Let's just move on. I don't want somebody to stand up on the authority of the apostolic truth that's being communicated, to stand before me and tell me what it says, authoritatively to tell me what it says. 
I don't want someone to convince me, to lock me into a message where I know I can't escape it. It is the truth. That's what I'm trying to do right now, by the way. I'm trying to, I'm pulling the fence around you. I'm trying to lock you into this fence for you to understand because that's what the Bible says. And then you call people to action. That's what preaching is. And that's what New Testament preaching has always been and will always be until Jesus comes and he calls us out of this world. And if you don't think that's important, listen to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now listen, listen to my pastor's heart for a moment. Just, you don't have to agree with me, but I'm going I'm to fence you in. Over the last few decades, the centrality of preaching has diminished in too many of our churches. The weakness in today's church can be attributed, at least in part, to a loss of conviction about the spiritual importance of preaching. As sermons have gotten shorter and services have disappeared, Christianity in North America seems to have become increasingly more shallow. I don't say it didn't exist. Increasingly more shallow and Christians increasingly less interested in the mission of the church. That's why you can't find people to work in the children's program or the teen program or the parking lots or to be greeters or to reach out to the community and reach out through Ebenezer. It's why you can't find people. Preaching, I don't want to listen to preaching. I want to go to a football game. I want to to have a cheerleading time. I want to have a big band playing for me. I want to get up and dance in the pews. You like my dance? I want to get up and dance in the pews. That hurts. Let me tell you something. When you're absent of the Word of God, listen to all the things that you miss. Do you realize the Word of God brings faith? Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It gives new spiritual life. 1 Peter 1, 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and abiding Word of God. It helps us grow. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word that by it you may grow. It sanctifies us. It sets us apart from the world system. It makes us more like Jesus. That's what I mean by sanctifies. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It searches and convicts. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why people don't want to hear preaching. It gets in them. And it shows them what's really there. It liberates John 8, verses 31 and 32. If you remain in the word, then you are truly my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It refreshes and renews Psalm 119, 25. It says, give me life according to your word. And it revives our soul and rejoices our heart. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You realize that's the word of God. 
you not only need to read it, you need to hear it proclaimed. I'm, I'm moving to the end in the next hour or so. <laughs> Stephen J. Lawson is the professor of preaching, and he's the dean of the Doctor of Ministry Studies at the Master's Seminary out in California. I listened to an interview he did, and I've transcribed two paragraphs out of that interview. Listen to what he says. So, this is him speaking. So, anyone who looks into the Bible can clearly see the primacy or the primacy of the ministry of the preaching of the Word of God. It's the lifeline in the church. Just take church history, he says. Every single mountain peak in church history, without any exception, are the high water marks for preaching. The low valleys, the wilderness times in church history have been where there has been the withholding of God's sending preachers. Those golden eras of church history are when God raised up preachers of the word of God. So this isn't something that I've come up with. This is something that's set forth in scripture. This is something that is set forth in church history. This is why preaching is so vitally important. Now listen, this other paragraph, listen, are you with me? He goes on later. He says, we're giving up Wednesday night services. We're giving up Sunday night services. We're shortening the preacher on Sunday morning, the preaching on Sunday morning. Is it any wonder that our churches are so weak? The Puritans used to say this, if you had one hour to give, if you sat at home by yourself and read your Bible, or if you came to church and sat under one hour, a one-hour exposition of the Scripture, which of those two would most benefit your soul? The Puritans, he says, would have said 10 times out of 10 to sit under the preaching of the Word of God would be the greatest sanctifying effect upon your spiritual life. And then he finishes by saying it's not an either or, though. It's a both and, but we cannot allow the preaching of the Word of God to be diminished. You say, Pastor, I thought we just, just needed to get it over with. Well, at this moment, that's probably how you feel. But I hope that you'll see that I'm not just saying this. The Word of God says this, and church history says this. This is the truth, that the preaching of the Word of God may look to the world around us as being something as foolish. You'd get up on a Sunday morning, and you'd go over to that church, and you'd sing some songs. That's not so bad. You know, we can bounce around. We can raise our hands. We can, and we can, but then you're going to let somebody talk to you for 40 or 45 minutes from an ancient book, 2,000-plus-year-old book. And God says that's the lifeline for your spiritual life. Because here's what the pastor does that you can't do. Most of you aren't trained or equipped to be able to dig deeply into the Scripture, to be able to gather things out of the Word of God, to mix into a meal, to be able to present it to you, to be able to say, here's what God says. Look at the deeper things. Look beyond the surface. Let's go more than just snorkeling across the surface. That's, that's, devotional. that's devotional reading, snorkeling across the surface. Preaching is about deep diving into the Word of God and bringing out the, the, the gold that's found there. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to finish here. I promise I'm going to finish. By the way, next week we're going to look at the missionaries 
that deliver the message are considered to be foolish by the world. The message is considered to be foolish. The mode of delivering the message is considered to be foolish. And the missionaries who carry the message are considered to be foolish. We'll talk about that next week. But I want you to look. There's three reasons why preaching still matters today. First of all, preaching is important because of the word that we have to preach. That is God's word. Verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's inspired of God. It is God-breathed. Do you believe the Bible, the book that you hold in your hand is God-breathed? It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. That's systematic teaching of the word of God. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Preaching is important because the word that we have to preach is God's word. Secondly, preaching is important because of the charge we've been given. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When people like it and when people don't like it, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And thirdly, preaching is important because of the times in which we live. Look at verses 3 and 5. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Oh, man. Oh, man. If you don't see that going on around you, your head is in the sand. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. That is, they want to have somebody that will tickle their ears. Tell them what the, give me a motivational speak, speech. Make me feel better about myself. Give me a little bit of therapy while we're talking together. Let me have dialogue with you. They're looking for somebody who will give them, tickle their ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Preaching is important because of the word that we have to preach. Preaching is important because of the charge we've been given to preach. Preaching is important because of the times in which we live. So let me give you five points of application and I'm done. I got three minutes to do this. Number one, prepare yourself before you come to hear the preaching. What do you do before you have a tailgate party on a Saturday football game. You know what you do on Friday night? You make sure you got your tent. You make sure you got all your food ready. You make sure you got your grill. You make sure everything's in the cooler or it's going to be in the cooler. You got plenty of ice to make sure that you can keep your Coke and your pop and things. You can keep it cool or, you know, whatever you're going to be drinking that day, you got it ready to go. You're preparing. What are you doing? You're preparing. Why do you prepare for a football game that lasts for three hours? And you don't prepare for eternity or for the preaching of the Word of God. If you got a big meeting tomorrow morning, you know what you're doing tonight? You got a big meeting tomorrow morning. I mean, first thing in the morning, you got a big meeting tomorrow morning. You know what you're going to do? You're going to make sure you got all your ducks in a row. You're going to make sure everything's lined up and everything's ready to go. And then you'll probably say to yourself, whether you actually do it or not, I'm going to get in bed a little bit earlier so that I can get up early because i got to be fresh. My mind's got to be ready when I go into that meeting. 
We climb into bed on, Sunday, on Saturday nights. We watch some of the trashiest television you can possibly watch. We don't pray. We don't read our Bible. We get up on Sunday morning. We stumble around. Ah, I've got to get to that first service. I don't want to be there all day. Prepare yourself before you come to hear preaching. Number two, ask God to speak to you through the preaching. When you sat down today, did you say, God, speak to my heart today? It may be convicting. It may be comforting. It may be encouraging. It may be guiding. Did you ask God to speak to your heart today? Number three, take notes of the preaching for each service. You say, preacher, I don't like to take notes while you're preaching. I like to just be able to look at you because you get pretty animated sometimes. Go home and write down some of the things you were impressed by so you don't forget them number four talk about the preaching with your family and friends talk about the preaching not roast preacher can you believe he went to 10 15 this morning can you believe how long that man stands up there and proclaims the truth surely that's roast preacher you go home and you talk about the preaching Talk about what it meant to you, how, how blessed you were by it, how thankful you were to be under it, how grateful you are you have a church that preaches the Bible. Um, I'm waiting for the day. I get this. Please, I'm going to take an extra couple of minutes. Y'all okay with that? If you're not, you can leave. I'm waiting for the day. I, I, get, the, I get it. When I go to the beach, I say, this is my happy place. I love the beach. It's calming to me. Uh, when I would go to the golf course, I don't do this anymore, but when I used to go to the golf course, I'd go out on every Monday and I'd, I'd get out there on the golf course. There's no deacons out there. There's no church members out there. There's no noise out there. There's no problems out there until you hit the first shot. There's no problems out there. And I think this is my, this is my happy spot. I've, I've said that before. I'm waiting for the day that somebody goes away from church service with their own family and their own kids they come back on Sunday night. They get here on Wednesday night, and they say, you know what? That's my happy place. That's my happy place. That's where I want to be. That's where I find instruction. That's where I find comfort. That's where I find guidance. That's where I find life. That's where I find the truth. That's my happy place. Number five, apply the preaching to your life in practical ways. Last week, we talked about the world thinking that the message that we proclaim is foolishness, but we said we're not going to be ashamed of it. Did you share it with somebody this week? Number six, review the preaching notes during the week. You do this? I have to review. I can't remember. After I finish preaching this message twice today, I'll go home, take a nap. I won't remember when I get up what I preached. It's like a sponge. You get full, and then you come and you preach it, and you squeeze it out, and there's nothing left. And so you have to go back and you have to remind yourself. You go back and you, you, you go over it again and again. Try to remember it. And number seven, you really want to turn the preaching into something that's exciting for you? Invite someone to hear the preaching with you. Let me close. You ever heard the name John Wesley Powell? When John Wesley Powell made the first descent of the uncharted Colorado River through the Grand Canyon in 1869. He and his colleagues had absolutely no idea of the test that was in store for them. There were wild rapids, there were unexpected falls, there were swirling pools of water that threatened to devour their wooden boats. After weeks of this, several of his crew mutinied. 
Against all of the warnings that he gave to them, they left the river and tried to find an exit out of the canyon through the Apache lands. And those men who left were never heard from again. They were never heard from again. We're being lured into a similar danger when we let other things cause us to abandon, to abandon God's call to hear the preaching of his word. Many of them that abandon or devalue the importance of the preaching of the word of God will never be heard from again. They'll walk out. They'll be gobbled up by the devil who wants to swallow them and destroy them if he can. Dear church, we need every Sunday the preaching of the word of God.